Amen. Well, guys, we're in the book of Acts tonight, and that's where we want to invite you to be. So hopefully you have a Bible, and you've brought it, and you're making your way there. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4. Wednesday nights, we seek to work through the Bible at about a chapter at a time's pace. And so we're hoping that that's where you are and maybe have even read ahead. Uh, that's always kind of our desire. We give you a, you know, booklets and remind you and tell you, hey, this is where we're going to be next time. And hopefully this is one of those spaces that God is growing you in his word. But that is, again, our focus. So hopefully you got a Bible. If you don't, there are Bibles in front of you and the chairs in front, page number on the screen. Hey, if you want to use an electronic device and open up an app on that and follow, that works but we really do want this to be a Bible study, a time where we're looking into the Word of God, letting His Word work into our lives. And so hoping you got that, hoping you're in that, and hoping that you really do see it. And God speaks to you tonight what He has for you. With that as our aim, let's do as we often do. Uh, most often as we head into this, we just take another moment to pray, but it is your time to pray as well. Would you just ask God to speak to you? Would you just ask that God would just show you what He has for you? I, I love that tender, you know, you know, just when Samuel is, is just being instructed and says, hey, just tell him, hey, Lord, speak, your servant's listening. Uh, just here I am. And, and just that's what we want you to do. Just say, God, I'm listening. Lord, I'm, I'm longing to hear what you're going to speak to me and just longing that you position your heart into a space that God would indeed speak to you where you are and what he has for you. So let's ask him for that right now. God, I, I come before you right now in joy, absolutely joy, that you are a God who has spoken and is speaking. That today we don't find you as a God who is mute. We find you as a God who is speaking. That every day through your creation, you're talking to us, and then through your word, it's alive. It's not, a, it's not just a, a voice from the past. It's a, it's a present voice that you speak by your spirit into our lives. And I love the power of that. But right now, just asking, would you give us ears to hear that? Speak, Lord. Just, just speak to, to each of us here. Your servant is listening. I want to hear. I want your word to work inside me. I want it to work inside us. Those things that you have for us. Take what we talk about tonight and perfectly apply that into hearts here. We're asking for that from you, looking to you for that, believing in your power, believing in your faithfulness, and trusting you in it even now. We ask for that as we put this time and our lives into your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Acts chapter 4. If you wanted to look over this chapter and almost with a single word speak one of the realities that flows through it, it would have to be the reality of boldness. It's referred to throughout the chapter into a space where God just speaks this place of boldness. Boldness, I think about that. You probably understand it. Boldness, it's confidence. It's that space to speak and to do what's right. In fact, in the, 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 the biblical definition of boldness, it has a, an unfetteredness. So that you, you are absolutely not letting anything keep you back from speaking that which is true. Not just speaking your mind, but being bold about what that is. I like even looking at kind of synonyms to it. You know, it has the idea of nerve or courage or sometimes even audacity, daring, bravery. Yeah, all these things speak of it, and yet in a place that God is inviting us to be those who are that. 
So we're going to read through this chapter. We're going to talk about it. We're going to try to see those things that are there. And then we're going to try to look in the midst of it at about seven things that'll just be keys of boldness. Seven things that talk about what boldness is in this chapter. And it's not like a totality of everything that can be said about boldness, but again, just what we see highlighted uh, in this chapter and longing that God would help us to get there. Well, just as a quick overview, uh, we think about this chapter and you could really break it up into three things. It begins with uh, the disciples, Peter and John, specifically being arrested being arrested for Christ and, and being brought then before a trial, before a trial before the, the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, many of the same ones who weeks before this sent Jesus to the cross uh, had brought them before a very similar trial. And so you, you just can't miss almost just the weight of this moment as they find themselves facing a, you know, a similar stare down. Uh, with these leaders, and yet they're going to be released, and we'll get a kind of post-trial response as they process through on the other side of that. So again, that's a little bit of where we're going to go this evening. It's a little bit of what's going to be there, but we're going to look at that again through the lens of watching the boldness that they have. So let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 4. And it just kind of picks up the story where we left off last week, and we'll come back and tie that in in a moment, but we'll just begin for now there in verse 1. It says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed, that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Maybe the first thing that we want to just hone in on is this boldness to preach the gospel. This boldness of where they are preaching Christ, and and very specifically, Jesus' death and resurrection. In fact, that's the problem, right? That's the problem, is it tells us there in verse 2 that they were greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Like that, that's the rub. In fact, that's what's going to kind of begin there. We'll see it again in verse 10, uh, that they'll come back to it and do it again. And, and one of the joys is just watching this, watching this happen. Well, as a quick recap of where we were, that if you missed it last week, you can go back and get it or just read through chapter 3 later. But if we were to back up and see chapter 3, we really began to see the beginning of those spaces that God opens up for the gospel. Chapter 2 ended uh, that very first day of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church, Pentecost, uh, you know, 3,000 people get saved. It's a, it's, a, it's a massive day. And then it just ends and says, day by day, you know, God was adding to the church daily who would, those who would be saved. And so then this chapter goes into a specific place where that happens, an opportunity Peter and John, they go to uh, the temple. They're heading up there at the hour of prayer, and they find there a man who has been lame since uh, birth, almost 40 years, and yet it's a special moment, a sense that God is working in this moment, a moment that God has created. They see that. They step into this moment, and by the power of God, that man is healed. That man is healed. I mean, life changes for him. He is leaping and shouting and so excited over this. The crowd gathers at this moment, and then Peter does this amazing thing. He just steps in there and says, you know, hey, don't, don't think that this was us. Don't think that we just did anything great. 
This is Jesus, and he preaches the gospel. He very specifically preaches uh, that Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the grave, and, and he presses that before them, calls people to respond to that, calls them to repentance, calls them to believe uh, upon Christ, and it's this amazing moment. It's a moment where that happens, and so all of that is chapter 3. In fact, it kind of left us hanging, although we'll see a little bit of the, the results here in just a moment, and, and so we just see Peter doing that, preaching the gospel, being bold about that, representing that well, and yet it doesn't go well. I mean, we find here the religious leaders, the priests, the captain of the temple in verse 1 of chapter 4, and the Sadducees. Boy, these are the kind of the religious elite on a number of layers within the Jewish society, and they are, are just incensed about this. And again, they don't like it. They don't like what they're doing. They don't like they're preaching Jesus, and specifically his resurrection, uh, you know, for a lot of reasons. A lot of reasons in the midst of this, the Sadducees didn't even believe in that. But on top of that, again, it just kind of pressed into this everything that Jesus is. And so they arrest them. Uh, they, they put them into, into prison for this. And so we find ourselves just beginning this moment of watching that. Boldness that God would put before us, it could in so many ways be defined that this is what he's looking for. A space where we would not be hindered from speaking about Jesus, uh, telling people the gospel, and, and, and being those who do that. In fact, I will just, in a very uh, just application kind of way, say it this way. So if today they were arresting people for preaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, how guilty are you? I mean, how much way, I mean, if, if right now that was going to be like, okay, we're not going to let anybody talk about Jesus and, and your life was brought to account, I mean, is there enough evidence against you to arrest you? I mean, in, in the sense of that, would there be enough people like, man, oh yeah, <laughs> like he or she is always talking to me about that. They are all, I mean, that's exactly the kind of stuff they do. Would you be guilty enough to be arrested? And I want to kindly and lovingly say, may it be so. Uh, may we grow to be so, that there would be enough evidence against most of us to be, yeah, I think we are. I, I, I think that would happen. And certainly that's one of the things that God wants to speak to us in this chapter about. Certainly that's one of those things that he wants to show us how that happens and, and where that happens. Well, all that again, simply to say, Peter and John were. I mean, they were guilty. They get arrested. And it's, it's near the end of the day, so they're put into to prison overnight, and you're just left to feel that again for a moment. You're just left to kind of feel the weight of it. And I already have highlighted all by itself, that's a, that is um, a difficult space. Again, not everybody in this room can probably just relate to that, but some of you can. Some of you have maybe known something like that and maybe in your past been arrested and you know that sometimes, hey, that's what priests, police do. I mean, just giving somebody an overnight in prison is, is one of those things that all by itself is enough to, to wake up a number of people. It's, it's enough just to say, we're just going to put you in night, overnight, we'll let you go in the and all by itself, I mean, that, that all by itself would be disconcerting. Add to it, though, Jesus just went through this. Jesus had just faced these same people, and he had been kept in prison overnight, 
And, and on that morning, he had been brought on that, that morning and, got, and eventually tried before Pilate and ended up on the cross. There just has to be a little bit of a deja vu feeling. It has to be a little bit of like, okay, like, okay, Jesus sad, you know, like we're, they're going to treat us the way they treated him. I think it might be happening right now, you know, and, you know, even just feeling that weight. And yet at the same moment, God is moving. See, go back and read it there in verse 4. It says, however, and that's just a good word to begin the verse there. However, in spite of that, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So it's an incredible moment. I mean, the church, in spite of this, in spite of that, even though they got arrested, it's not hindering it. I mean, the church had just grown to 3,000 people. Now we just added a number, two, two more thousand. And again, I'm just trying to process that with you because it's just one of those crazy moments. Could you just imagine if that were to happen? Like, like here, like, okay, one day 3,000 people get saved, and so now you're trying to figure out how to figure out how to take care of 3,000 people, and then a few days later, 2,000 more. I mean, it's just crazy excitement that's happening in the midst of it, but again, it's kind of fun to recognize it's happening in the midst of persecution, it's happening in the midst of pressure, and it's just one of those good reminders that true persecution has never actually hindered the growth of the, of the body of Christ, honestly. I know sometimes we're afraid of it. Uh, we live in a very unique uh, moment in church history and in a very unique part of our world. There are people all over our world that are facing persecution today where it is exactly illegal to preach in Christ, uh, to, to share the gospel, where it is exactly illegal to do that. And, and some of them do. And so they're like, oh, I totally understand that. Uh, that's not where you and I live right now, but it might happen. And it might be the best thing that could ever happen for America. It might be something that we need. It might be something in the midst of it. God knows I leave all that in his hand, but it's not one of those places that we should fret and go, oh, that would be the end of us. It's never been. Uh, this place where it would be that. And so part of that kind of speaks into this place of wanting to be bold, that we would say, okay, I want to be a part of that. Well, we leave that. So they're arrested. They're in that space. And now we're the next morning. Now we're that morning where the trial's going to happen, where they're going to, you know, be presented there. And it says in verse 5, it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, by the way, again, if you're kind of up on that, those are the guys that Jesus just stood before. They're the ones who, you know, from this tribe, they, 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 ju they just were, they were a part of Jesus' trial John and Alexander and many of those who were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Good question. I mean, again, for them, it's like, okay, they, they're recognizing there's a man who just got healed. I mean, and they're, they're trying to figure it out. Like, how did you do that? Like, what power did that? And, and yet, what name? The idea of a name would be a kind of authority. What was the, I mean, they, they understand it had to have been something there. You know, they're trying to get away from what they think it might be, and they're trying to figure out, like, how did you actually do this? You know, what, how did this actually come about? You know, was this some kind of scam? Was this, I mean, just kind of in the midst trying to press through all these things. And then you notice Peter's response. Verse 8, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel 
that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before you whole. Hey, it's a good place to pause just for a moment and just think, that's a pretty, I mean, this is a pretty incredible moment. I mean, it's like, I mean, I don't know if you're just feeling the, the weight of that, or if I can say it again, the boldness of that. But I like the way it was prefaced for us. It says that that boldness came upon him because the Holy Spirit filled him. That the Holy Spirit came upon this. Again, it says there in verse 8, then, the whole, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit is able now to give them that proclamation. It's a good place for us just to think about for a moment. I won't spend a bunch of time on this. We did this a little bit earlier in the book of Acts in chapter 1. But it's worth just noting that this idea of being filled with the Spirit is something that can happen to us again and again. In fact, it's going to happen twice in this chapter. It happens here at the beginning and it happens at the end. Without getting just overly technical on this, there's a, a space where the work of the Spirit is, is, is something that can be defined. Um, that if you're a follower of Jesus, when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and, and takes up residence inside of you. He becomes instrumental in baptizing you and bringing you into the body of Christ. The Bible just lets us know that that's a one-time thing that happens and you get saved and that's amazing. There are some that kind of look on this and say, well, there, there, there might be a, a further kind of baptism of the Spirit for power, and, and, I, and, I, and I like thinking that through, but I've kind of become, and I shared this in chapter one, I think I've become less argumentative, if I could, I, I, I hope it's that way, and I've just become, you know, I don't really care what you call it, I just want it, you know, because here's what I know, no matter what you say about what the Spirit is, there's more for us there. Uh, that we get to see this being poured out again and again through the book of Acts. And I could just look on it and say, you know what, I want all that God has for me. And I recognize there's, there, there's authority, I recognize there's power in that, and I certainly long for it. I think about even in the book of Ephesians, where it speaks about how you and I are supposed to do life in, in chapter 5, talking that we're supposed to walk in wisdom and, and how we're supposed to walk in love. And, and in the midst of it, it says, you know, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. It says, you know, do you want to live your life over here, you know, kind of living the way the world does, you know, turning to things like alcohol uh, to cope through your days in, in space? He says, you get, to, you get to be filled with the Spirit. And the interesting thing about the Greek rendering of this is it's put in a continuous present uh, tense so that if it were translated really accurately, it would probably be saying, be ye continually being filled by the Spirit. Like, this is something you constantly want more and more of. And, and so certainly we see that. Certainly we see uh, that happening here. And, I, and I'm wanting just to say, boy, that's something we should want. And again, maybe you're doing fine. Maybe you think, I'm pretty bold. That's not a problem for me. Good. Maybe you're sitting here going, I, I could use to be a little bit more bold. You know, I, I, I need to be just, I need to speak it more clearly. I want to speak Jesus. Well, that's exactly what this is here for, where you would say, Holy Spirit, I need help. I, 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 I'm not going to just, you know, try harder. That I'm not going to lean more into my own personality. If I can ask for this, well, then I would like that. And that's exactly what Jesus promised us, by the way. When he spoke about exactly such opportunities as Peter and John find themselves in, places where people would be arrested and find themselves on trial for the gospel, uh, Jesus spoke to him in Matthew 10. He simply says, and when they deliver you up, do not worry 
about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father who speaks in, who speaks in you. It's an amazing reality. Jesus speaks this. He'll speak it again uh, the, the night before he goes to the cross, just saying the same thing. Uh, you know, speak it again on, on the uh, Mount of Olives as he gives the kind of the, kind of the Mount Olivet discourse in the midst of it. It's one of these spaces where he says, hey, when you get there, when you, when you find yourself in this kind of space, don't stress out. I mean, like, I mean you know, just, just ask for the Holy Spirit to help you. I mean, and he'll give you in that hour things that you need to say. Now, now, this is not in any way encouraging us towards laziness. It's not one of those places like, hey, this is not even, don't even, no, it's like, this is not something you can prep for. This is not something that you can prepare for, but you're going to find yourself in that hour. He says, when you're there, when you find yourself in, in a space that's there, just believe this and, and ask for it. It's a great space. And, and I think, you know, yeah, it, it speaks about places where you could be arrested. It speaks about places where it could be there. But it could speak about so much more that you would find yourself in a place where you find somebody pressing you. And I just want to just tell you, hey, it's a good space just to ask, like, Holy Spirit, help. And then just trust him. Like, trust him to bring to your mind what you ought to say. And it's one of those weird spaces. And again, maybe I'll just try to say it this way. For some of us, not all of us, We can get on the other side of those other opportunities, and for like days, we'll be like, and I could have said this, and I could have said this. Why didn't I say that? And I could have said this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. It's like, well, in that moment, just cry out for the Spirit, and if He doesn't give it to you, then don't stress out about it, because if you had said it, it probably wouldn't have done any good. Instead, just like, Holy Spirit, show me what to say. Show me what to say in this moment, and just bring it to mind, bring a ver- and, 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 and then trust him to do that. Trust him to be able to give you those words in, in spaces where you are needing boldness. That, that's exactly what God has offered us, that one of the means by which we can be bold is by the power of the Spirit, by the power of making that happen, and that's exactly what we find Peter doing. So, There's a boldness that comes about from the filling of the Spirit, and once more, it is a boldness to speak the gospel. So even though I'm kind of using these bullet point numbers over there, I put number one there again because it's just the same thing we just said. We just said, hey, they preached the gospel. That's what got them into trouble. Like what got them into trouble is they were preaching in Jesus the resurrection of the dead, and then they do it again. Like, you know, Peter's there, oh, see, you want to know how this man's alive? You want to know why this man is standing here before you whole? He says, if you want to know that, verse 10, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God rose from the dead, raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. And I just pause just to say, I love how simple that is. And one of the things, we've, just, we've been talking about it a couple times, especially since we talked about it on Easter Sunday, and we kind of talked about it at that moment, that that's the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 says, here's the gospel. The gospel is Jesus died on the cross, uh, he was buried, and he rose from the grave. Like, that's the gospel. You have not preached the gospel if that's not what you've talked about. If you've talked about, oh, you should pray about that. Like, that, that, that's nice. That's not really the gospel. Uh, you know, and that can be one of those places where someone's at work and they're having a hard time. It's like, oh, I'll pray for you. Um, that's not the gospel. It's not a bad thing to do. Or, you know, it's like, hey, can I just tell you, you know, God sent his son. He died for our sins and, and rose from the grave. And that is, that is the hope of our lives. It doesn't, you know, that, it, it's always what we're preaching. We have, we have a single message that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is our entire hope. 
And everything we are flows out of that. So I just want to tell you, boldness will always draw you to that. Boldness will never make it where you don't have to do that. Uh, Where it's like, well, can I just tell people, like, God loves you, and that's good, you know, and God bless you, and, uh, you know, is that, is it, could, was I bold there? It's like, well, mm, the, the boldness will always get to the gospel, and it, and it should somehow. It doesn't have to be, you know, as forceful as Peter's is here, but it will always get to that, and that's worth noting. Picking it up at verse 11, Peter says in the middle of that, so he just had said, well, I'll go back and just read it again for context. Um, verse 9, if... We this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Boy, there's a bunch there. In fact, again, if you were with us on that Easter Sunday, we talked about that. We went through, um, actually, it was Palm Sunday. We talked about that. We went through Psalm 118, where that's quoted, and kind of talked about, the, the, uh, even prophetically, that the nation was going to reject him. It says, you know, the, the builders were going to reject that, but it's, it's, the, it's the foundation stone of everything that God is doing. So Peter's being bold, and he's being biblical, which is really, really cold, tossing in a, a, a verse that, again, both confirms it, but is pretty, you know, firm and confronting them where they are. Then he says in verse 12, Nor is there salvation and any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So that's the end of his, you know, kind of, okay, Peter, what do you have to say for yourself here in this trial? And it's been a pretty incredible moment to kind of watch this. So he's got this bold filling of the Spirit. He's boldly preaching the gospel. And it's worth just noting as kind of our third note on boldness here this, this evening is he is boldly declaring the exclusivity of Christ, the exclusivity. What do I mean by that? Well, it's just one of the simple things is that it's only Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the only way to be saved. He says, there is no other name given from heaven by which you can be saved. The only way to be saved. We think about Jesus who told us that so clearly, where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's powerful. But to speak that, takes boldness. You probably know this, but I just quickly point out that was the rub then, and it is massively the rub today. Your family, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors will be okay with you for the most part as long as you, you know, believe, you know, hey, what's right for me is, you know, not necessarily right what's right for you. You know, you, you, you're fine the way you are. Hey, this is what I do. I happen to go to church, and I like this, and I'm kind of cool with Jesus, but hey, if you're kind of into Muhammad or whatever, that's fine, you know. Uh, they will be great with that. I mean, our world is hampering for that, and they're longing for you to say that. In this world where tolerance has become kind of that, that overarching word. This is what's being pressed upon you. And, and the bold statement that God longs for us to be able to say is, no, it's actually only Jesus. 
I mean, you just need to know that. There's no other way. Um, nothing else is going to get you saved. There's nothing else that can fix you. Uh, there is no other ism. There is no other way. It is Jesus, and it is Jesus alone. It is Jesus, and, and, and he is the only way. And so, again, I speak that clearly because as we think about boldness, this is the boldness that has always been needed, but if it's ever been needed, it is needed today, that you are being invited to say, hey, you know, I love you, I'm glad, you know, you, you, have, you have freedom to make the choices you make, but that doesn't make them right. Um, there still is only one way to be saved, no matter what you think. And, and Jesus is the only way. I mean, God, is, he, he sent his son, it's the only way to get there, which is an incredible, you know, just mark of true boldness and certainly what God would want to build up in us. Well, it's with that, they're watching this whole thing, and you're kind of just trying to imagine this courtroom kind of scene, this massive uh, display of religious leaders that are kind of arrayed against these two guys. Just, it should have looked, you know, tremendous, but everything's changed. I mean, like, here's, they just made this incredibly bold statement, and it's as if the atmosphere in the room was a little bit different. And it says in verse 13, now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and again, it's just worth us pausing because that's what we're talking about. They're like, man, <laughs> these guys are bold. I mean, these guys are really bold. I mean, wow. I mean, this is not what they thought was going to happen. This is not how they thought it was going to play out. And they're shocked by it a little bit. It says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. Hey, don't read anything less. I mean, you guys probably already know, but I just, I just like that. It's just a good place. It's like, huh. I mean, you guys, you're not that smart. You know, it's like you didn't go to school like we did. You're not as educated, especially in that society and in a religious environment. They're not, uh, you know, those who have been trained in those, those places. And then it just says it this way, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. I think this is my favorite verse in this whole chapter. You know, I mean, it's just, I just love this. I don't know about anybody else. If it doesn't work for anybody else, I just love this. It's like they're just looking at them, and they're scratching their heads, and they're like, huh, Wow. Like, I don't understand why, I mean, you're kind of weird. I mean, I didn't expect that from you. I didn't expect what you would be. And then they're like, oh, I know what it is. You've been hanging around Jesus. That's, 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 that's the only thing that has made you so incredibly different. And yet that is so much what God would long for you and I. And would so much belong. So, I mean, here's the, the simple deal. God can save people, and he can save people who are very, very smart, and he can save people who are very, very wealthy, and he can save people who are that, but he, but, he, but he can save people who have none of those things just as equally as well. In fact, I like when Paul would write uh, to, the, to the church in, in, in Corinth, he would simply say it this way. He says, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, uh, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world. It's just one of my favorite verses. In fact, if you guys don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of like our verse. Uh, it's kind of, kind of our staff verse. Like we have this actually up on our wall and our staff in our, in our office there. We just we look at it. It's like, that's us. That's us, like right there. There's just not many wise. There's not many noble. There's just, I mean, that's, you know, there's just not wise, not, not mighty. I mean, that's not, it's not that God can't do it. And again, I like the accuracy of it. He didn't say not any. He just said not many. So God can do it. God can get people who are, who are wise and who are mighty and who are noble, but they're going to have to come to an end of themselves, quit trusting in those things, and God can use them. And I'm so glad he does. There are some incredibly brilliant people who would find themselves in that class. And if you're one of those, 
hey, thank God that he can work in your life. He'll bring you to an end of yourself. Let him, let him use you. Don't, don't take any offense in these things. Hopefully, it'll just meet you in that. But for many of us here this evening, we find incredible hope going, boy, I'm glad that's not the, you know, only way. Because if you had to be really, really smart and really, really noble and really, really powerful, I'm done. Like, there's no, they might, might as well just count me out and just kind of push me off to the sidelines. But if you can say, hey, that's, that's not what it is. That's not what it is. It, it, that those things don't disqualify us. Those things don't, can, can hinder us. In fact, sometimes they propel us into that place that because we do know our smallness, God can work through us. And again, that draws us to that number four there, that we can gain a boldness that isn't from our personality, that isn't from our upbringing. It's just from being with Jesus. In fact, again, I want to highlight again, this is a source of boldness. So we're going to give like seven things this evening about boldness, but it's worth noting the differences because they really fall into two categories. There are things we're meant to be bold in, and there are spaces we get boldness from. Uh, We need to be bold in sharing the gospel. We need to be bold in telling people that Jesus is the only way. But there are sources of that boldness, and it comes from the filling of the Spirit, and it comes from being with Jesus. Time spent with Him, that relationship that we get to have with Jesus transforms us. And it's such a beautiful thing to realize. I I hope that has happened to you. I hope somebody has noted that in your life. I, I hope so. If not, I hope it continues to grow so. I hope you would have such a beautiful relationship with Jesus that you would spend time with Him, that you'd be in prayer with Him, that you'd read the Word, that you would grow in Christ, that you'd abide in Christ, that it just begins to change you. Uh, it begins to change you, and people notice, like, well, you're just different. I don't know. You're, you're just this thing's different about you. I mean, I don't know. There's, there's kindness. There's a little bit of boldness. I mean, you just seem different. It's like, well, I've been, I've been hanging around Jesus. I mean, that's kind of what happens when I hang around Jesus. He changes me, and, and, and that's really the source, and so just read it again, just reading that whole verse, because I love it again. Probably if there's any verse that just is, is speaking to me tonight, this is the one. I just like it. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized they had been with Jesus. Wow. Oh, that that would be true of us. Uh, that, that, that that would be the thing that defines us. And again, it lays it out as a source. It lays it out as a source that would tell you, hey, this doesn't have to arrive. I mean, if you're here this evening, and again, if you find yourself saying, I don't need any help, I'm, I'm plenty bold all on my own, good. For most of us here this evening, we're going to be like, okay, I struggle with that a little bit. I struggle with being bold. And yet, if I'm being invited not into my personality, but like, hey, spend time with Jesus, that'll change you. Spend time with him. Just be with him. And, and, and with your, when you're with him, it'll change what you are so that it just happens, that you just find yourself being able to do things that you hadn't been before and that he would work in the midst of it certainly is the source uh, that is being laid out for us here and certainly what we need. Well, we go back to the courtroom scene. So you're kind of hopefully feeling it. They've, well, how did you do this? Where did you get this power? Peter made this incredibly bold statement. It's got them all back on their heels going, wow, we didn't expect that. Okay, these guys have been with Jesus and now they're trying to figure out what to do. Verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it which is just a good space. Like, what do we say? Like, he's actually healed. 
I mean, it goes on to tell us he'd been that way for like 40 years and everybody knew him. And so there was no like denying it. There was no way of saying, well, that didn't happen. And I love when God does things like that. God just shows up in such a way in an undeniable space. It's certainly what we long more for. So they decide. They say when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves. So now they're like there. It's like, okay, we can have to talk. Like, okay, Peter and John, go in, go in the hall. Like, you guys are going to go over there, and they're going to have this. Like, what do we do about this? Like, what do we do with these two guys? I mean, how are we going to handle this whole situation? Verse 16 saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them. It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. Like, there is nothing we can do about this. Uh, they, they actually did something amazing, and nobody can say anything against it. But, they say, in verse 17, so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. That from now on, they speak to, to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So this is, the, this is the way the trial kind of lands. This is where they are. They say, well, we can't deny it. All we're going to tell them to do is quit talking about Jesus. You know, you guys, you, you're, we're going to let you go, uh, but just stop that. Like, don't do that anymore. And Peter gives this incredible answer that is worth your noting, uh, that he simply just says, hey, we're going to have to decide. If we're going to obey God or you, we're going to obey God. I mean, if, it, if it's a push come to shove and this is that space um, where we are being invited to do that, we are, you know, we're going to do what God has. And there's a boldness that draws us there. I don't have time to speak into all the depth of this, but let me just try to say a couple quick things. Being a rebel, uh, being one who resists authority is not a biblical characteristic that God endorses. Uh, rebelliousness and, and even being one who has strife against all authority is actually a part of our sinful nature. So when God speaks about that, he will call us in Romans 13 and other places like, hey, you know, submit to those who rule over you. Like there's a, there's a space that we honor authority where authority is. Like we you say, okay, that's, that's, that, that's right that I would recognize this. There's not a space that we wholesale uh, endorse rebellion. Uh, that only leads to anarchy that's true uh, in many spaces around the world, and certainly it's actually something we're struggling with in the United States, um, you know, where lawlessness is growing, uh, you know, where people are, you know, you know, rebelling against police officers, rebelling against authorities, and authorities have no idea how to handle it, and, and there just ought to be something that we say in Christ, that's not a good thing, but neither is there a space where we allow that authority ever to overreach what God has for us. And so in a Christian's life, there has to be a space where it's like, I do obey, but there's a line that crosses. There's a line that gets crossed, and, and when that line crosses, I got to obey God. I got to obey God no matter what the consequences are, no matter what that is, and even recognizing there may be consequences to doing that. Uh, and, and so that's a good space for us to kind of recognize, hey, that's places that we're going to have to wrestle through, but let's just even hone it down a little bit more. Um, 
the decision of this council was all you have to do is stop talking about Jesus and you'll be okay. That was their decision then. That's been the decision ever since so much. And so I ask this question in the most kind but gentle and yet forceful way that I can. What will you do? What have you done when that's become the issue? And the reality is for most of you here this evening, it's already happened. And it's going to happen more. What will you do when when they tell you hey, we'll accept you, just stop talking about Jesus. Sometimes that happens in friendships. Uh, sometimes that happens in family, where your family will tell you, hey, you know what, we're, we're okay with you coming around, just don't talk about Jesus anymore. I mean, that's, that's, that's the only thing. Like, you're welcome into family gatherings, but you just can't bring your Jesus with you. Like, you can't do that. Just no Jesus. I mean, that's the, that's the only stipulation we have for you in the midst of that. What happens when that happens? I mean, would that be that space where you would be like, I can do that, I can be that, or would you have to say, hey, you know, that's one thing I cannot do, uh, you know? And again, I don't know where that lands for you, and I'm not trying to kind of stir up strife and problems in family, but I'll just tell you, hey, I've had that. I've had that. I have unbelieving family, and that's exactly what they've asked of me, and I've told them exactly this. It's like, that's not something I can do. Uh, you know, I mean, again, I've, I've kind of, you know, I've shared the gospel with all of my family, so it's like I'm not going to, you know, you know, four spiritual laws every time I see them or something like that. But I say, well, you know, I'm going to bring Jesus with me. I mean, like that's, I, I, I always talk about Jesus because that's, that, he's, he's my life. I mean, that he is my savior, that he died and rose for me. I try to tie in the gospel when I say it, um, is everything that I am. And so it's going to flow out. And if that's going to be, you know, if that's a rub, um, then I guess we can't come. Uh, I mean, I had places where, you know, my kids, growing up, you know, that we had, we had some of the families, like, could you just tell your kids to quit sharing the gospel with us? You know, it's just like, it's like, no, that's not something we can do. You know, it's like, that just, you know, it's like, they love you, they don't want you to go to hell, so, I mean, you know, they're going to just be like, you know, grandma, I just want you to get saved. You know, it's like, this is going to happen. And so, I mean, that was just, for us, it was like that, you know, there are things that, you know, hey, we don't have to talk politics, that's fine. I can, I can drop that one at the door. Um, we don't have to talk, but, but my Jesus it's one that I will not say, I mean, I don't know, again, just being honest, I think it's one of those things that you're going to have to wrestle through, but I'm just telling you, you probably already have, and I don't mean it as a condemnation if you've already like, okay, I already blew that one, Jim. Fine, fix it. You know, that's the beauty of repentance. Like, okay, Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. You know, just I'm going to be one that's going to say, you know what, I, I, I always talk about Jesus, and he's my life, and so that's not going to, that's a no-go. What happens if it happens at your workplace? where your workplace comes and tells you, hey, you know, you just can't mention that any longer. Now, again, I don't know if that's happened to you. I'll just tell you it happened to me. Um, it happened to me. So uh, it's years ago, so I can kind of just back up. You know, I was working at a workplace, and, uh, you know, just to be very, very clear about it, I shared the gospel. But I didn't really do that on company time. I mean, it's not like I went around, instead of doing my job, shared the gospel. I think that's actually... Um, dishonoring uh, in the midst of it, but I took people to lunch, and I, and I spent my break times. If somebody wanted to talk to me about Jesus, I always would, but if you ask me directly, even on work time, it's just, you know, it would be like, well, this is what I believe. How about we have lunch later and talk about it? You know, I, you know I'll, I'll take you out my dime, uh, pay, you know, whatever it was, and so that's kind of how I did it, but happened what one of my coworkers, knowing kind of where I stood, just came up to me one day and just asked me, so Jim, do you think I'm going to hell? You know, is that what you think? Now, I mean, here's someone who didn't believe in Jesus. I knew she didn't believe in Jesus, was living with her boyfriend, um, doing drugs. And she just said, said, well, you know, here's what I know. Jesus died for you and he would save you. But right now where you are, absolutely yes. 
uh, you're going to hell. Um, you know, kind of in the most kind way, it's just kind of what I said, uh, that blew up. I mean, so she cried, and that kind of got to the supervisors, and they kind of brought me in. And so I'm sitting down at the supervisor's desk, and they're like, Jim, you know, you know, we're glad you're this, but you can't do that any longer. You can't tell. And, and I told them what I tried to, it's like, hey, you know, I don't go around sharing the gospel on company time. I do my job. I try to do a good job. I hope you, I, and I, I said, I kind of told them, I said, I hope you notice that. I hope that that what I do, I do it well. I, I give you the best of my time, and, and I'll do that. But I'm just going to tell you, you know, if it comes down to telling me that I can't answer a question like that or tell them about Jesus, I guess you're going to have to fire me. You know, I guess you're going to have to go because that's not something I'm going to be able to do. I, but I told him, I said, hey, I'm not going to, I mean, I'll tell those people, hey, you want to talk more about it? Lunch, my done. You know, I'll always take you out. Um, and it was, a, you know, at least they didn't fire me, by the way. You know, they're like, you know, actually the, my, my, my boss ended up being someone who was, a struggling Christian, they're like, darn, like, what do I do with that? <laughs> like, you know, like, you know, like, what do you, you know, it's like, it's like, I'm not, I mean, I'm, it's like, I'm not trying to be offensive, but I mean, if you're going to ask me, I'm going to tell you because it is everything I believe. And I'm just telling you, that's where we live. So what happens to you? What happens when it becomes illegal in our culture? It might happen. I'm just telling you, it's around the world. You can be in Iran right now. You could be in North Korea. You could be in China. You can be in a number of these places, and it is illegal to do this. It is illegal to share the gospel. What are you going to do when they tell you, hey, you can't do that any longer? What are, they going, to, what are you going to do? Are you going to be all like, well, okay, I guess, I guess I'll no longer tell people about Jesus because the government said no. You know, are you going to be like, mm, you know, push shove. You know, if I get the opportunity, I'm still telling people about Jesus. I'm still going to do that. I mean, that, that we, I mean I, we're just not far from that here in the United States. I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you feel it. We are very much not far from this. In this pro-tolerant kind of culture, I mean, it's, ju- it's just going to take a quick tipping to kind of make it to where, you know, you need to tolerate everybody. And sharing the gospel is a hate crime. Uh, to tell somebody that they're going to hell. It, we're just so close to that. And so again, I'm just telling you, boldness, there's a boldness that needs to be where we would say, okay, you know what, I'm going to obey God over men. And, 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 and that might mean persecution. That might mean that. And I don't know where you are on that. I am. I've thought it through. And it's like, I guess I'll go to prison. I mean, it's just, you know, it's not like, I mean, that's just what's going to happen. But that's, this is one of those no-goes for me. I mean, it's like, that's not, a, that's not something I'll ever give up. Um, it's, it's not. And, and so, again, there's a space of boldness where we kind of need to walk into this and see this. Well, leaving that for our time's sake, we get to the, the post scene. So they tell Peter and John, hey, this is what you need to do, and they leave. I mean, that, 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 so it's kind of, you know, we don't get into further dialogue uh, about it. Um, and so it just tells us in verse 21, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For this man was over 40 years old, and him this miracle of healing had been performed." So now there you are. You're outside the courtroom. Um, fears, threats, they're real. They just killed Jesus. How do you respond? I love the way they responded. Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they had heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage? And the people plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, 
whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Bunch of stuff in there, but let's just cover it quickly for time's sake. So they respond by praying, which is a great response, by the way. They get this whole prayer, and what they pray for, in essence, ends it there in verse 29, where they're saying, God, make us more bold. I mean, we can feel the pressure, we can feel what's happening, and they pray. They pray, you know, in the midst of this, you know, Lord, look on their their threats in verse 29, and grant your servants with all boldness that we may speak your word. God, make us more bold. Like, you see this, and you give us this. Now, there's a, there's a really cool prayer, and again, we don't have a bunch of time to spend on it, so I just want to quickly highlight a few things, and you can kind of think it through more on your own. I like that it's a united prayer. It begins by saying, with one accord, they, they, this, like, this is the heart that's there, and oh, that God would give us such a unified heart in seeking this. I, I like that it's a worshipful prayer. They begin by acknowledging who God is. I mean, they just begin in this place by saying, Lord, you're God. Like, you are God. You made the earth. It's all yours. It's a good space to be there. Um, I like that it's a a biblical prayer. Or that is, again, they quote the scripture, and they actually kind of quote it back to God. And it's a great one to quote. They quote Psalm 2, and they look on this. And Psalm 2, if you get a chance, if you don't know it, go back and read all of it. It kind of pictures the entire world set against Christ and how foolish that is to to set yourself against Christ because it's going to be the end of you. He says, the world's done this. They've done exactly what you said they're going to do. And and God, I see it. I see what they're doing. And I recognize that that's what's happening in the midst of this. And then they just said, you know, God, it's, it's about Jesus. And so again, I like this verse 27, for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod, Pontius Pilate, Gentiles, the people of Israel, they're gathered together. Now that might, again, the danger of this is you're reading the Bible with me and it just makes sense that they would say this, but I just want to tell you, if you've ever gone through anything even close to this, you might recognize how good this is that they're not doing it the way we do. Because the way we would do it is we talk about us. Like, Lord, they're, they're, I'm so scared. Do you see what they're going to do to me? It's all about me. I mean, poor me. This is terrible about me. And, and just, I just thought I'd tell you more about me again. And, and they're like, it really is about Christ. God, that the reason that we're suffering right now is because they don't like Jesus. And, and, and they're set against Jesus. You know, the, the problem that this creates in my workplace or creates in my family or creates in my culture, it really isn't about me. It's about Jesus. It's about the world fighting against Christ. And they're going to lose. They're going to lose. And, and I recognize this. And they just say, hey, all of this is happening. And yet, God, you're sovereign. I mean, none of this is happening outside of your hand. Everything that's happened in this, your, your hand had planned for that to happen as far as Jesus going to the cross and, and everything that's there. And so they again just ask, God, give us boldness. You see their threats. You see what they're telling us to do in verse 29. Grant boldness. And God, do some more. Like, we got in trouble because you healed somebody. Heal some more people. Like, get us in more trouble. I don't know. I mean, just like, Lord, do it again. Do things that just cause people to know you're real. And I love that. That's a good prayer for us to pray. God, do things that, that in our midst would cause people uh, that would see that it's Christ and all that would happen. 
And so then it tells us, and when they prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke with they spoke the word of God with boldness, which is just a great space. I mean, we think about everything that's there. I mean, there's this place where, um, you know, the, the Holy Spirit just comes upon them again. They're praying for this. It says the Holy Spirit just fills them again, which is, again, a good note for us. And now they're just speaking God's word. They're just saying, okay, we're just going to tell, we're going to speak that, which is another way of saying boldness and speaking the gospel. But I highlight it as a separate thing because it's just good for us to see now, there's, there's, there's more stuff in the rest of the chapter, but we're going to leave that for next week because I just want you to process this for a moment. So we've walked through a bunch of this story, but again, one of the things we've seen is these seven points of boldness that really are a part of this chapter. And again, I just want to just cause you to notice them. There are things that we are meant to be bold about, things that we're called to say, and, and that would be boldness in the gospel, boldness in the exclusivity of Christ, boldness that we obey God, boldness, boldness that we would speak what God's saying, like this is God's word. Those are things that we need. And again, I don't know about you, I need them. Uh, and, and I'm hoping you would maybe, maybe again, maybe you're doing great or maybe you're here tonight thinking I could use to be, yeah, you know, my boldness probably doesn't, you know, maybe I tell people, hey, I'm praying for you, you ought to go to church. Um, yeah, those, that's, that's, that, that's nice, but there's more. It's, it's the gospel, it's Jesus, it's Jesus being the only way. Um, it, it's this boldness in speaking God's word, even when uh, people say, don't do it, they're going to obey God over men, you need that. But in the midst of this, we've also seen three places that become the source of that boldness that is a source that could be there for every single one of us here tonight that isn't based on your personality, it isn't based on your background, it's based on what God is offering us. And he's saying that that boldness would be from the filling of the Spirit, number two, the boldness that's from being with Jesus, number four, and the boldness that comes from prayer, number six. It's like, those are things we can have. Like, like if, if I'm looking for boldness, it's like, yeah, okay, Holy Spirit, help. Help me be more bold. And Jesus, I just want to spend more time with you. I just want to know you better so that that changes who I am. And you know what? I start praying about it. God, make me bold. God, make me more bold. Make me one that stands for you. Help me, you know, I, you know the things that would kind of keep me from that, but, but I long to be that. And I'm just telling you, that's a prayer that God will answer. That's a prayer, I mean, it's something that he would be at work inside of us, and we should be able to look at this and think, wow, I just, I'm watching these guys, and this is pretty amazing. I just would like to be more like that. I'd like to be more like that. I know I was talking to somebody this week, and, you know, we were talking about this chapter, and I'm like, you know, sometimes I can read this kind of chapter, and it could just make me feel so small. You know, it's like, man, these guys, that's, look what they're doing. It's like, man, my, 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 my things are so small. But I come back and say, hey, this isn't what they tried to do. This is how life found them. And, and they're just responding in it, and God would do it. And that's what all he's asking for from you, is he's inviting you to be in your life that light, that space where we could be just bold. And some of those opportunities may seem small. You and a friend, where they're just like, hey, could you just quit talking about Jesus? You know, just really tired of that, you know. Um, you and your family, you in a workplace. It might be something all the else, but you stand and, and what that could do, the, the ripples that that could change. And again, looking at it and just saying, God, we want that. God, we want that. So let's close there and, and just ask for God's work in this. Um, I think what I'd like to do is I'm going to pray just kind of a, a, 
a prayer that would lead into it, and then I'm just going to pray this prayer. I'm just going to pray the prayer that they pray um, over us, and I think that that, in its own sense, could be helpful. At least I'm hoping so. So let's go before him right now and ask that, and then just asking uh, that God would meet us tonight. Father, here we are. We've got a chance to see this. We've walked through this chapter. I thank you for the resounding picture of boldness. God, thank you for those who find themselves in our midst here this evening and that you've done this in them. They are bold witnesses for you. I thank you for what you've done. I pray you'd strengthen them. You would make them, as it says in the Psalms, bold with strength in their soul. But God, I also just speak to some who are not bold who the culture and their own personality has kind of made them quiet and they recognize that and they recognize you would call us to be bold, to, to share the gospel, to tell people that Jesus, you're the only way, to, to, to stand for you in this world. So God, would you make us bold? Would you make us bold to that end, Lord? I just want to pray this prayer right here over my life and over ours now. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's the end of the prayer. Let me read the last verse. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness.